Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. You must be on New Year hangover. Um, But uh, happy New Year to all of you. I'm so glad you chose to hang out with us as we start a brand new year. And I don't know about you, but there's something about the new year that brings a lot of excitement uh, to me. And um, I love the new year because it's always filled with optimism. And there's a sense that, man, you know, things could be different this year, that there could be a real sense of strengthening faith. And I'm just very hopeful when the new year starts. So uh, I don't know about you, but maybe there are changes that you're hoping to make and you feel confident because it's the new year. Maybe for some of you, you want to get in shape or you want to lose some weight or you want to Uh, focus in a little bit more on growing spiritually. Maybe for some of you, it's uh, spending more time with your kids or uh, using your money more wisely or getting rid of an annoying habit. There's some of you that have some habits we hope do leave uh, this year. Uh, So um, I do too. So, um, but I, I don't know what it would be, but my prayer really has been that whatever it is, that God would give you the power to fulfill whatever goal you have for this year. Because there's just something about the new year that brings hope. Now, I don't know why it is uh, that way, because the reality is we could change any day of the year, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be uh, the first of the year. It could be August 17th. Um, But for some reason, psychologically, the first of the year, we always think, oh, here's some changes that I want to make. Um, Because you rarely have anyone like just before Christmas, you know, come up to uh, a person uh, and say, hey, two weeks before Christmas, I'm going on a diet. Right? Nobody does that because... You're like, no, I'm just going to eat and eat and eat, right? In fact, you plan exactly how many meals you can get in, right, Uh, within that Christmas time. Now, when I look at the lives of other people, though, who have it a lot more together than I do, and there's a lot of people like that, but when I look at other people who have an area of their life that is more together than me, I don't know about you, but I get intimidated by them. I'll look at their life and I compare myself and then I feel worse about it. And a lot of times I just feel intimidated. And I'll look at their lives and I'll think to myself, they're so much better in this area than I am. And they must be doing something really, really big to get so good at what they're doing. I have no idea what big changes are that I need to make, but obviously it's really working in their life. So I just want to bring some good news to those of you that ever feel that way like I do, that you feel a little intimidated or you feel a little bit overwhelmed by someone else. And the reason is because I believe that it's not the big changes that we need to make. But it is something that's small. In fact, our main idea that we want to focus on today is this. It'll come up on the side screen. It's often the small things that no one sees that result in the big things 
that everyone wants. Okay? Let me say that again. It's often the small things that no one sees that result in the big things that everyone wants. Let me give you an example of this. The first church I pastored was in a uh, hog-producing county, Carroll County in Indiana. More hogs than people live there. And uh, there was a guy in the church that I pastored uh, by the name of Jerry. And Jerry was a hog farmer. And I don't know if you've ever met someone like this before, but someone who you just know is a very spiritual person. That they walk through their day, and you can just tell that they walk very closely to God. That they're a person who is prayerful, and they're patient, and they're kind. They speak truth, but they always speak it in love. And Jerry was, kind of, was one of these people that I looked up to. And so one day I pulled him aside and I said, Jerry, I was like, what's the secret? Like, what is this big thing that you're doing that shows that you connect so closely to God? And he said, well, actually, it's, it's not really a big thing, but it's a small little thing that I do each morning. And I said, well, what do you do? And he said, well, before I go out and feed the hogs, I take 15 minutes and I read the Bible. And he said, what I've found is that if I read the Bible 15 minutes every day, that in a year I have read the entire Bible. And because I do that, I think that's the thing that has really helped me the most to draw closer to God. Well, I thought that made sense, right? I mean, if you read the Bible like that, that you would grow closer to God. But I thought, there's no way I could ever do that. Number one, I'm not a fast reader, and I'll share, explain that here in just a second. And number two, like the entire Bible, like this whole book in a year, seriously? Well, then I started thinking about, well, I guess you're right. It's not that big a deal. Um, there are 900, and I started figuring out, there are 960 waking hours in a day for most people. And if you divide that by 15 or 960 minutes, some of you feel like it's 960 hours, right? 960 minutes of waking time in a day. And if you divide that by 15 minutes, it comes down to 0.016% of your day. So I thought, 15 minutes? Well, heck, I should be able to do that. And so I thought about it, and I was like, yeah, I can do this. I can do 15 minutes a day. And so I went out, and I bought this Bible. I still have it. It'll come. There it is. Uh, and it's the one-year Bible, and it's set up uh, by calendar, so you read everything in one year. Well, you know, the first couple of weeks, I'm like all into it and everything. All of a sudden, I started noticing Jerry either is a really fast reader or I'm a really slow reader. Because it was taking me 30 minutes to get through all of this. So I'm like, how's this going to be? Well, uh, I didn't get it done in a year. It was January 17th of the next year that I actually read the Bible through uh, the first time in my life for one year. And so I was like, man, that's great. I'm good at Sir Jerry, but I'm just too slow to read uh, that much. And I, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to do it. So this is what I got. 
the two-year Bible. <laughs> Some of you are feeling me right now, right? <laughs> so it still takes, it says it only takes seven minutes. It takes me 15, okay? So whatever it is, I'm slow enough that it takes longer. But I'll tell you what, since this church started, that's the Bible I've read. And every two years I go through it because that's the pace for me. Now, you might look at Jerry and go, 15 minutes, what kind of difference does that make? What changed his life? Because I looked at what change he had in his life, I finally found the way that it would work best for me. And uh, that's the the two-year Bible. Um, Let me give you another example. Uh, I've been a runner my whole life. I love to run, and I ran in high school, ran in college, and uh, I really love to run. When I had kids, though... All of a sudden, I noticed I was running after them, and I was getting more tired than uh, I was running, you know, miles. And I just gave up running for several years, put on a little bit more weight, and all of a sudden, I'm feeling kind of discouraged. And I look at a, a friend of mine who I look up to, and he's like in good shape, and he's running all the time. And I'm like, dude, you got three kids. I only got two. How do you do it? And uh, he's like, well, um, yeah, I have three kids. But uh, I just have a plan. I was like, yeah, but how do you run every single day of the week and look like you do? And then I'll never forget, he said this, I don't. I was like, what do you mean you don't? He goes, I don't. He said, I run three times a week. I run three miles each time. And it usually takes me about 25 minutes. I usually do it in the morning so that I'm there for my family. I was like, really? Three miles? Three times a week, 25 minutes. Yeah. And you stay in shape. Yeah. I'm like, wow. So I've been doing this over the last three years, and I've been able to actually run a few races. And I ran in the Muncie Marathon, uh, Muncie Mini Marathon uh, this October. I ran the 10K, and your pastor was the aged winner. And we have evidence of it right there. No, no, no. Don't feed my ego. Okay, don't. I mean... Because if, you, if we zoomed in to how big the trophy was, it was like that, okay? And I got home, and I'm like all proud, you know. I'm like, look what I won. And I tell my two girls, they're five and seven. I'm like, look what Daddy won. And my, my oldest, Jordan, who's very competitive, she's like, that's a trophy. <laughs> but here's the point, folks. That one small decision that I've made has made a big difference. One other thing. When my uh, wife Jennifer and I first got married, we went to a Christian marriage uh, conference. And I remember the speaker stood up and he said, if you want to have a healthy marriage, if you want to have a good marriage, if you want to have a great marriage, then you need to pray together as a couple. And uh, I was a conference junkie about that time in my life. I went to every Christian conference there was. By the way, Christian conferences are great. You need to go to them. They will not change your life, though. You have to choose to change, okay? So I finally learned that after about four or $5,000. Then, um, <laughs> so I go to this conference. I come back home, and I'm like, honey, we're going to pray. Like, we are really going to pray. 30 minutes. Come on. Give me your hands. Oh, Lord, like that. And she's like, whoa, 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 preacher boy. I'm like, what? She's like, 30 minutes. You know what will happen if we pray for 30 minutes? I go, what? She said, we'll do that for three days, and then we won't pray for the next four years. 
And I said, no, no, no. She's like, you know it. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. She said, why don't we just commit from now until either one of us are no longer here that we'll just pray together as a couple. And we'll, if it's 30 seconds, it's 30 seconds. If it's a couple minutes, it's a couple of minutes. Now, you might be sitting there and you're going, 30 seconds? How much good can 30 seconds do? Well, I'll tell you, 20 years later, the one thing that has impacted my marriage the most is that small little thing. But it has had such a huge difference in our marriage, a big difference. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're like, yeah, but you just don't understand. We don't like to pray out loud. And if we pray out loud, I might say something stupid and then they're going to know I'm stupid. They already know you're stupid if you're married, okay? You don't need to worry about prayer to let them uh, realize that, okay? They already get that, okay? So you simply need to do it. And I'm telling you, it's the biggest, uh, that discipline has made the biggest difference in my marriage. You know, I really do believe that you can have a very different year this year. And chances are it's not going to be some big thing that you do, but it's going to be small things that no one sees, that results in the big things that everyone wants. Now, the scripture that we're going to look at today is in Zechariah chapter 4. Some of you are like, Zechariah who? And the reason I know it's Zechariah is because I've read the Bible. And uh, in the Old Testament, it is the second to last book in the Old Testament. And Zechariah was simply a prophet. He was a pastor, kind of like a present-day pastor today. And during the time that he wrote... Uh, the temple of Israel had been destroyed. And everyone is discouraged and everyone is overwhelmed. Why? Because not only has the temple been destroyed, but all of the people have been uh, sent into captivity. So it would kind of be like this. Everyone in the United States gets kicked out either to go to Mexico or Canada. And the big tower, the Tower of Freedom that's in New York that we look up to has been destroyed. Now think about that. If that happened to your life, if that happened to our life, we would all be very, very discouraged. And this is what's kind of been going on. But in 537 B.C., Zerubbabel, isn't that a fun name? Repeat after me. Zerubbabel. Now that means let me say it, then you repeat, okay? Zerubbabel. Okay, that's fun. That's some. That's something. That's the only thing some of you are going to get today. But anyways, uh, Zerubbabel was the head of the tribe of Judah, and he was the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. Ten greats, just in case you were wondering. And so this guy leads a strong remnant to come back to Israel, and they give some hope. And then 18 years later. God spoke to King Zerubbabel and he said, I'm going to give you now the ability to rebuild the temple. In Zechariah 4, uh, verse 6, it says this. This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength. In other words, the temple is not going to be built by you and your strength because then you'll take credit for it. That's not how it is. But the Lord says it's not by force nor by strength, but by what? What's it say? What? It says, my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Here's the thing, folks. You can try to change in your own power. 
You can try to change in your own strength. And you can have incremental improvement within that. But if you want to tap into a power that is greater than yourself, that will give you greater influence and give you greater impact in your life, then it's through God's Spirit. His Spirit is made perfect where? In our weaknesses, not our strength. Not our effort, not our might, but by His Spirit. And He can then transform you. It's kind of like this uh, past uh, spring. I was getting ready to mow my yard for the very first time. I get the mower out and I get ready. You know, I prime the pump. I'm everything ready to go. Vroom, vroom, vroom. I'm pulling and pulling and pulling and nothing is starting. So I decide I'm going to fix it. Now, if you know me at all, that's why some people are laughing. I can't fix anything. I mean, literally, I, cannot fi- I can barely fix a sandwich sometimes. I mean, I'm pathetic. So I decided to go get this screwdriver. And I saw this like on one of those late night things where if you're having trouble with your mower, you should take the air vent out. So I, I take the air vent. I have no idea what it is. So I just start hitting it and dust is flying. I'm like, that's got to be good. You know, that can't be a good thing. So then I start pulling it. Vroom. Room, nothing whatsoever. I'm thinking, I know what the problem is. It needs oil. That's what they always tell you, right? You need oil. Well, I don't even know where the dipstick is. So I'm, I'm looking here and I'm like, I don't know, but it says oil. So I just, I put it all the way to the top, which I've learned that's probably not a good thing either. But I, you know, do that. Room, room, nothing whatsoever. Finally, uh, I've done this for an hour. My arm's about ready to fall off. I mean, I, I can't pull anymore. So I call a buddy of mine named Eric. and go, Eric, can you come over here and check this mower out? He's like, yeah. So he gets there, and the first question he asked me is, he said, well, did you put in some new gas? I was like, you think I'm an idiot? I'm like, you don't need new gas. I paid money last year for this gas. This is, and I put premium gas in, you know, like that's expensive. So I'm like, I put in the good gas. He's like, no, 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 no. You've got to... Get rid of that gas. I'm like, you're kidding me. He's like, no. He goes over, he dumps out the gas, he puts new gas in, primes it three times, room, starts up, no problem whatsoever. I hate Eric to this day. (laughs) All right, so this is the thing, folks. I've been fighting with that mower for an hour, and I was close to a cuss word, but I held back. Because you have such a godly pastor, okay? (laughs) And I was doing everything I could. And then Eric walks in. He pours out gas, puts in new gas. Woom! Like that. And it runs no problem whatsoever. Here's the bottom line. I can fight all day long with my own strength in some areas. But sometimes, folks, I need brain power that is greater than mine to be able to to fulfill the goal that I have. Folks, you can try all day long to make all your changes, but when you tap into the Spirit of God, there is a strength that is greater than you could ever muster up on your own. Some of you have tried for years and years and years 
Some of you are still trying. It's a habit. It's something you're going through. You're trying to make this change. And year after year, you make the resolution. And year after year, you fail within just a few weeks. But this year could be different. And the reason it could be different is because you could tap into a power that's greater than your own. Make it different through his spirit. So God comes to Zerubbabel and he says, I'm going to give you the power to rebuild the temple. Then verse 7 he says, nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. In other words, uh, when God calls you to do something, folks, there is no force on earth that can stand in the way if you stay connected into his power. Then he goes on to say, And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, May God bless it. May God bless it. And I was thinking about it this week. There wasn't even construction that started, right? No one has done anything, and God already knows what the end result is going to be. Before you ever attempt to do something, if you're in God's strength, He already knows the result if you'll simply surrender to his spirit. Verse 8. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of the temple, and he will complete it. Now, I did a little research this week on this particular passage, and uh, the scripture tells us that it took a very long time. It was a slow process, very awkward to rebuild the temple. Think about like the Freedom Tower. If we had to rebuild that, it would take a long time. It took years and years. And if you read in a book in the Old Testament called Ezra, there were times that when the people would visit what they were building, the Scripture says that they actually were crying. They would come and they would start crying. Now, it's debatable why they cried. Some scholars believe that they get to the temple and they start crying because they're like, oh, the temple's finally being built. And they're filled with joy and tears. But more scholars than not say that when they got to the temple and they started crying, the reason they were crying was because it was such a pathetic looking kind of rock figure. They're like, this is so weird. This is so weak. There's just a few rocks there. This isn't ever going to amount to anything. And you know what? That's the way that we feel sometimes, isn't it? That sometimes we think the small little things that we're doing will never amount to anything. We think about the fact that we've been going to the gym and working out on the treadmill. And we do it the entire week. And at the end of the week, we lost one pound. We're like, seriously, how am I ever going to meet my goal doing that? I've got to make some changes. And you start making them. But you only last a few days, and then you find yourself right back into the old habits. And what happens sometimes is those small little things we get embarrassed about having to do. In fact, quite honestly, uh, this Sunday, uh, 12 years ago, was the first Sunday that my wife Jennifer and I sat down and decided we would invite people to come to our house. And it snowed that day so bad that everyone who we had called said, no, we're not coming. And so there I am in my house. God's called me to build this church. 
and it's only my wife and I. And I'm like, serious, God? Like the joke's on me. Two people? Woo! What are we going to do with that? And then the next week, four people showed up besides us. And we celebrate, and we're like, ah! And you know what's so amazing to me is that God took that small little beginning and I look at your faces some Sundays and I'm amazed at what God has done. From a very small thing, God did big things. Verse 10 says this, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Folks, you simply have to put one stone in before you can do a second stone. You've got to start somewhere. And God rejoices when you and I are faithful in the small things. One of the challenges, though, is that we often look at other people and we look at their lives and we see the highlight reels. You ever notice that on Facebook? It's like they'll show a picture of their family and then they show their family in some, you know, wonderful destination. And you're like, my family stinks and we haven't been on vacation in 10 years, right? And you look at that and you're only seeing the highlight reels. But in the background... Behind the scenes, you see yourself. And so then you start feeling intimidated. I mean, look at people in the Bible uh, like this. Look at David. David, King David, the greatest king of the Old Testament. He killed Goliath, the giant. And you read that story and you're like, I want that kind of strength. I want to be somebody who would be able to overcome giants. But you know what we often forget? Is that before he ever became a giant killer... He was simply a little shepherd boy in a field trying to keep predators away from the sheep who he would either either run off or he would kill. Now, what was happening in that moment? He was learning to be faithful with small things so that God could trust him with bigger things. It's the things that no one sees, folks, that results in the thing that everyone wants. Now, our teaching title uh, this morning is Little Things Make uh, the Big Things Happen. And I got that title from the greatest coach who ever coached college basketball, John Wooden. And John Wooden won 10 NCAA basketball titles, seven in a row. It's never happened before. But how do you think John Wooden started his first practice of each season. Well, when I was reading about it, I was like, oh man, I bet he taught them how to do a full court press or taught them how to shoot or pass or they ran a whole lot so they'd be in the best shape. You know what they did? The very first practice, Wooden would sit everybody down around him and then he would say, guys, I'm going to show you how to put on your socks. And he would put on their socks And then he would say, now I want you to learn how to tie your shoes. And then they would tie their shoes. And Wooden learned something that other coaches didn't back in that era. That many of the star players didn't give any attention to that at all. And they would get blisters right before big games. And so because he didn't want that to happen, 
He made that the detail. And he made a very important point on the very first day of practice. And that was that we will be a team about the details because the details really, really matter. It's the little things, folks, that make the big things happen. And so often it's the small things that no one sees that results in the big things that everyone wants. Folks, there is power when you focus on one small thing rather than trying to do many big things. In fact, that phrase, one thing, is repeated multiple times throughout Scripture. David, who we talked about earlier, the most famous king in uh, the Old Testament, he's the only person who has this title, a man after God's own heart. Now, do you know what David wanted more than anything else, the thing that he desired more than anything else? In Psalm 27, 4, he says this. The what? What's it say? The, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's it. If your number one thing, folks, in your life is to be in God's presence as much as you can, then you just might, at the end of your life, be called a person who is a man after God's own heart. There's power when we focus. Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered one of Jesus' closest followers, uh, experienced massive amounts of persecution. Think about this. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. That was our, my wife and I, we were reading the Bible this week, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, and he got bit by a snake. And Jen's like, whoa. I'm like, yeah. And he kept going. She's like, you wouldn't. I'm like, come on, babe, you know. Bitten by a snake. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was stoned many times, okay? And not like in the Colorado sense, all right? Not talking about that. But this guy was ripped. I mean, he was close to death multiple times. And do you know what he said? Rather than saying, oh my gosh, now that I've become a Christian, everybody's just after me and they're persecuting me all the time. And I got these wounds and these hurts and wah, 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 pity, pity, me, 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 me. No, 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 no. You know what he said? He said this. Look at the screen. But what? One what? But one thing I do. I forget what is behind me and I strain toward what is ahead. In other words, I'm not going to let my past define my future. I'm going to leave that behind and I'm going to go forward to what God has for me. Because he has greater things in store for me. So this one thing I do, I forget everything else that's in my past, regardless of what it was, folks. And for some of you, maybe it just happened a couple of days ago. He says, no, no, no. I get rid of all of that, and I'm going forward to what God has, because he has something greater. This is the one thing I'll do. You know, it's amazing what will happen when you focus on one thing. God can bless your life in amazing ways. But you know what else also? It's amazing. When you don't focus on the one thing, how many times we miss blessings that come from God? Jesus one day comes to a house of two sisters. 
Mary and Martha. He walks in. He sits down. They know that he is the son of God. They're like, whoa. He walks in there. And Mary decides, you know what? I'm just going to sit in his presence and I'm going to listen to his words. Martha sees Jesus coming along with a few of the disciples. And she's like, wigged out. Ah, we got to get food. Oh, my gosh. She runs back there. and She starts looking. She's like, oh. We don't have enough tea. Send somebody to go get tea. And then we got to get bread. And we don't have flour. And blah, blah, blah. Now, I've only witnessed this from one female. So I don't know if all females do this. But my wife sometimes, when she doesn't know that someone's coming over, she wigs out. Now, look what Jesus said. He said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Only what? What's it say? Only one thing is important. Mary has chosen the better thing, and it will never be taken from her. Folks, don't miss out on the one thing that could change your life in 2015. Don't miss out on the one thing that God could use to bring so much more blessing into your life. So here's your assignment this week, if you choose to accept it, okay? This is it. I want you to take 10 or 15 minutes this week. Get away from whatever you need to get away from. Uh, If you have kids, Derek's a great babysitter. Just drop him off at his house. (laughs) doesn't matter. 10 or 15 minutes. Be alone And simply ask God, seek God for one word that he could give you to define and direct your life for the year to come. Just one word. I don't want all your New Year's resolutions. I don't need a paragraph, not a sentence. God is is willing to give you one word, just one word. And then put a verse to it. Whatever that word is, find a verse in the Bible that you're like, hey, I'm going to do this. Because you don't want to do it in your own power. You don't want to do it in your own strength. You want God's spirit, right? That's what Zechariah said to be able to do. So you can move forward with power. And you will not believe how different your life could be a year from now if you simply get one word from God... And you get a verse from the Bible, and you allow that to direct your life this next year. Let me share, you how, let me share with you how I've uh, used this in my own life, in the life of my staff. In 2013, we had a retreat. And at the retreat, I threw this concept out, and I said, Hey, guys, I want you to think of one word that's going to direct your life this next year. And so these were some of the words that they shared. Boldness. Contentment. Confidence, forgiveness, and trust. Now, my one word was the word timely, that I wanted to get better at being on time to things. Now, typically, I'm that person that is never on time. And I really wanted to change that. And so I read some books, and I learned one thing. If you plan the night before what you're going to do the next day, that's like a huge thing, you know. And so I started doing that. And I started noticing some success. And just a couple of weeks ago, 
we're at a staff meeting, and one of our staff people look at me, and they're like, do you realize that we're starting this meeting a minute early? Can you believe it? And I'm like, yeah, I, I actually can't. And um, no, don't clap that. No, 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 no. Believe me, don't encourage uh, that kind of thing. Um, so I really just sense that, you know, this was the change I need to make. Now, I'm still not perfect, and you can talk to people. Yeah, he's not when it comes to being on time. And this is why I think I figured out why I didn't do it so well. Because I did it in my own power. I never sought a scripture verse to try to help me with that. So this year, I decided I'm not going to do it in my own power because I don't think I'll have as much success. And this year, I asked God for a personal word, just one word, and uh, this is the word that he gave me, the word trust. And then I went and I searched and I found a scripture verse. It's actually one of the first verses I memorized uh, in Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. This is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not upon your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Now, you might say... Chris, is that right? You're the pastor of the church, and you just said trust. Like, do you trust God, Chris? Like, do you? And if I were to have to answer that question, I would say, yes, I trust God. And I would have to say, no, I don't trust God. I would have to say, yes, I trust God as the Savior of my life, and uh, I read uh, his words, and I pray. I trust him in that. But one of the things that I've noticed in 2014 is that my spiritual life was just kind of like on cruise control. Maybe some of you can relate. Uh, and I just felt like I, I did never trust God for something that I couldn't see. Like everything was simply what I could do in my own power, in my own strength. And so I was like, man, I've got to have this word and this scripture with it together. Because I really believe that God is going to teach me how to trust him in greater ways this year. Now, as this idea came of uh, one word, uh, I thought to myself, well, the church needs one word, too. And so in October, I went and I spent some time in a retreat. I came back. I said, hey, guys, uh, to the staff, this is kind of the word I'm thinking. You think I'm on the right target? They're like, yeah. So I kind of got some uh, uh, encouragement from them. And this is the word for the jar in 2015. And the word is prayer. Prayer is the word for the jar in 2015. Yeah, that's, that's something to clap for. Now, uh, all churches pray. You know, I mean, every church prays. Every church would not say, nope, we don't pray. We never pray. No, they all pray. So I was asking God, maybe like you would be thinking, well, that's weird. Why prayer? So I was like, God, like, what is it? And I didn't hear an audible voice. He didn't speak to me, but just a prompting in my spirit. He said, I want the jar not to be simply a church that prays, but I want it to be a praying church. Okay? Do you see the difference? Not just a church that prays, but we actually become a praying church. So, next week, we are starting a six-week series on prayer. And um, you will really want to come and be a part of this. I'm really excited about it. Because the thing is, this is what happens. And that's why a lot of you aren't clapping. Because you're praying and you don't see God doing anything in your life. 
And you know why that might be? You don't know how to pray. And what we want to do over the next six weeks is to help teach people how to pray so that they will learn how to pray to God when they're going through stuff so that you don't have to wait till Sunday to come to me and go, hey, pastor, this is what I need. No, you can do it on your own. And the same power that God gives to Billy Graham, he gives to you. And this is really going to be exciting. So you got a little card. Hope you invite some people. Everybody wants to know. Everybody wants to know how to pray better, so that you have greater things for your family and your friends. So our scripture verse actually came from Second Chronicles seven fourteen, and again, one of the first scripture verses I memorized. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray, if they'll seek my face and turn from their sinful ways, I will hear. I will forgive and I will heal their land. So uh, what would happen, folks? What would happen at the jar if in 2015 people really did humble themselves and they prayed? What if they sought God? What if they turned away from sin? Well, you know what? I can give you the answer. You know why? The answer's in the Scripture. He says, if you will do these things, I will hear from heaven. It's like God is listening. He's like, oh, if people would pray, I would hear them. And I would forgive them. And I would heal their families, their friendships, their work relationships, and maybe even all of Muncie and Delaware County because of prayer. So... I'm really pumped up about this, and we're looking forward to it. And there's only one thing that's left, and it's a question I have for you. What's your word? No, 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 not the church's word. What's your word? What's your word? And don't write a word down right now, because you haven't spent any time asking God to give you a word. But we've given you some space and a place in the program that you can write down that word Uh, If you want to. And then I strongly encourage you to send me an email at chris at thejar.org. Send it to me and I will pray for you and your word and the scripture verse that you have. Now you're like, well, how do I do that? So you go, you get quiet for 10 to 15 minutes. God, give me a word. I don't know what that word could be. Maybe your word is seek or maybe your word is give or simplify or relationship or serve. But whatever your word is, after you've spent 10 to 15 minutes, go to Google and put in there, serving in the Bible. And then it'll list all of these scriptures that will talk about serving in the Bible and pick one. Whatever one that is, make that your scripture verse. Then write it down. You can write it on your paper if you want. If you're a female, take lipstick, write it up on your, you know, on the mirror if you want to. If you're male, it'd be a little weird, but if you want to do that, go ahead too. You know, write it up there. Um, Get a tattoo on your arm if you want. Don't say that Chris told you that, okay? If uh, God tells you that, that's up to you. My arms are not big enough to really have anything on them, so I'm not going to do that. Um, But whatever it is. So this is what I did. I took my word and I took my scripture verse. I put it into a plaque and I put it right by my bedside. 
So I wake up in the morning, and to my right is my lovely bride. And then to my left, on the lampstand, is this word, trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know, folks, I really believe that if you do this, if you're faithful in the small things, that God will reward you. And he'll reward you in a way that a year from now, Jesus would be able to say to you like he said to a man one day, you did well. You're a good and loyal servant. Because you were loyal with small things, I will let you care for much greater things. Come and share my joy with me. And a year from now, when people come up to you and they're like, wow, what happened? Like, you've really changed. I, I haven't seen you like this before. Like, what's the big thing that you did? You could say, well, actually, it wasn't a big thing. It was simply one word that God gave to me. And I gave it back to him in a way that said, through your spirit, may you work. And he did. Now, this week, that is your assignment. One word. Spend a few minutes and find your one word. But we want to help you to know that it's not just about one word, but this next year also I want to encourage you to think about one person. So when you walked in today, you should have received a card. It looks like this. It's in your program. If you don't have one, just raise your hand and uh, we'll get that to you. Uh, You won't be embarrassed, Abby, and maybe a few other people can go ahead and pass those out. Okay, good. Um, But if you need one, just raise your hand. And what I'd like you to do, you know there is someone in your life who is very disconnected from Christ or the church. Maybe they're going through a lot of pain and a lot of hurt right now. And what I'd like to encourage you to do is to allow God to give you the name of a person or think of that person. And then to pray for one person, not ten people, just one person, for just one minute a day. One minute a day. And to see what God would do. That For one person, for one minute, at one o'clock each day. What I do, I set my uh, alarm on my phone and I pray for my one person. And I'd encourage you to do that. Now some of you are sitting there and you're like, who's this person? Who could it be? Well, it's whoever the one person God wants to give to you. That's who it'll be. It might be a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, family member, whoever it is. But it needs to be someone that you connect with regularly. I mean, don't pick Aunt Clara from South Dakota that you only see once a year. And she's crotchety every, you know, holiday when you see her the one year. Right? Someone in South Dakota knows her and they can pray for them, okay? But you pick somebody that you would be like, oh, man, if God could move in their life in some way, ah. No more chaos in their life. No more dysfunctional relationships. What if if I prayed for them for just one minute? What would that small thing do? Now you might say, well, there's not much power in that. Just one minute of prayer a day? Really? And uh, a few years ago, there was a guy by the name of Bob. And uh, Bob sat in a chair just like you. And he took his one card and he wrote down his son's name. And uh, he went to a poster board, which I'm going to ask you in faith to do here in a second. And he went over and he wrote their name up on that. 
And he prayed every single day for one minute at one o'clock. And his son, Todd, came to church one Sunday. And a few months after that, he gave his life to Christ. And a few months after that, Bob died. And Bob told me that the greatest gift he ever gave anyone was just doing one thing for one person of one prayer for one minute. And he walked and he wrote that name there. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now. And then whenever you're ready, if you think of your one person, or maybe you're you're here for the first time or this whole God thing, you're like, dude, you're freaking me out right now. Don't go over there then. Don't worry about it. But if you can think of somebody, and you are a Christ follower, you think, I'd like you to go write that name, and then come back, and we're going to close with a a song. So let me lead us in a prayer, and uh, then you can go to the poster board. Holy Spirit, come. Move in this place. Would you give a name, God, to each person in this room of someone that they know, maybe someone that they love who's hurting right now? that they could pray for them for one minute each day. Give a picture of that person's face, whatever you need to do, God. And God, would you help each person here to stay committed to praying for that person throughout the year? And maybe just like Bob prayed for Todd, we would see people come into a relationship with you because they chose to pray. So God, would you move right now through your spirit? And may the names that are on this poster today, God, may you draw them closer to yourself in this next year. Pray it in Jesus' name.